Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here, as always, with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. Our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So we have a lot to talk about today. It's kind of a fun mix of we're in award season and looking forward to award season because there are some fun trailers to dig into to wonder what these movies might be all about. Uh, And we're finally going to have our in-depth conversation about A Star is Born now that we've all seen it and it's coming to theaters this week. Uh, And then at the end of the episode, we'll have an interview that I did with Elsie Fisher, who is the star of Eighth Grade, which is now available on VOD and Blu-ray and all kinds of other places if you miss it over the summer. So we'll have a lot to get into But first, we need to talk about George W. Bush, which is somehow a twist of this award season. Um, The trailer for Adam McKay's Vice dropped this morning as we record this. It feels like it's already got a lot of people talking, as I kind of expected it would. We keep talking about it as kind of the X factor, the mystery thing in award season, like one of the few movies that absolutely nobody has seen. And for me, I think the trailer lived up to the hype. Like, I am definitely intrigued. And as someone who is a fan of The Big Short, I think doubly so. Uh, Are you guys as into this as I am? It looks almost like um, like a some kind of weird documentary or animatronics thing or something. It's like it's like he looks exactly like Dick Cheney and he sounds exactly like Dick Cheney. So I don't even know. Is that good? Like, are we? Is, is that even a good thing? I mean, it's good for Oscar stuff. I feel like. I mean, yeah. I think that kind of transformation is always on voters' uh, shortlist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I, I don't know. You, you know, saying even that we have to talk about George W. Bush, Katie. It's like, do, I mean, I don't want to be. <laughs> do I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, things are so bad right now that I kind of forget what things were like then. But like, that was, you know, we were, we were. <laughs> a lot of us were pretty unhappy back then. Um, it should be interesting though because the timeline is enough removed and so enough and different enough from now that like. I feel like even the sort of coastal elites will kind of embrace a movie like this if it, I don't know, confirms something they long suspected, even if it kind of well, makes actually, a hero of him in a way. I mean, it's not going to make a hero of him. It's an Adam no. McKay movie. Well, I mean, yeah, not a hero. The Ghost Panther Twitter lately. Something it's sympathetic. Like, well, I mean, that's my that's my question is like, if this is just going to be more sort of like, I, I use the term liberal Doritos to refer to things like Pod Save America, or it's just kind of like, all right, you know, let's get our empty calories and feel better, even though we're not changing anything. But if, if it's actually like challenging some of our assumptions and helping us understand, you know, I think a very toxic, you know, a person's very toxic career as vice president that was very destructive in ways actually that like this current toxic thing has not been destructive like Trump for everything else has not started any wars um that would be good but if it's just like a caricature that's kind of like let's sit here and laugh or or be be mad in a kind of superficial way at all these people like who I, I don't know who needs that right there's enough stuff to be to be mad about right now so that was my fear but I mean Adam McKay is incredibly smart and thoughtful I, I don't know what is do we know what the source material of this of this is I'm not sure it's anything but recent history although I mean God knows there's enough books and everything written about Cheney and the Bush administration to draw from yeah I just keep coming back to the feeling I had watching this and you know it's a short trailer but there's a lot of montages but there's a long-ish scene where you've got Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush like asking Dick Cheney to be his president be his vice president and Sam Rockwell fresh off an Oscar for playing a guy who you didn't really like playing another guy who you don't really like but he's really appealing like you're sitting there and kind of watching him like be like down home George W. Bush and you like 
like him and then you feel gross about liking him. Like, I feel like that queasiness is what this movie is going to play with. Like, showing these people who kind of lured the whole country into a disastrous war, among other things, and then got us somewhat to where we are today. And, like, taking you on that journey while also needing to hate them while you do it. My fear would be if this is just like a kind of a spruced up Will Ferrell W then it might be a fun movie to watch, but it's not going to be like a really fascinating, important film to help you understand things. Well, I will say like my vibe from the trailer is like a, a funnier die sketch where Sam Rockwell is playing George W. Bush. Like I, he's so entertaining. He gets the voice so well that like little prosthetic nose on him looks so good that like, but I'm hoping, you know, as Katie is sort of saying that maybe there's a twist to it. I mean, I certainly didn't walk out of the big short like, not thinking a lot about the powerful men and what they did to this country. And so while still being like entertained throughout the movie. And so like, yeah, if, if it can entertain and fascinate and then hit you in the head with like, and this character is now stockpiling water as the end of the big short does. And you're like, Oh God, Um, you know, then um, I'm really interested to see what it does. But, but like, as Katie pointed out, like Katie and I were talking about this a little bit before we got on air here and I was being very contrary. And I was like, that trailer looks fun, but it's mostly montage. And so I'm reserving judgment until I see the film, but based on like the big short and what that did to award season and how much I enjoy that film. uh, And like, you know, it's the it's kind of the opposite of liberal Doritos. The big short is because it's like, I don't know, frosted mini wheats. It's like something you enjoy eating. But like, in theory, there's like some fiber in there like <laughs> to go down. And so like that's that's what the big short accomplished, at least. And I would I would love for Adam McKay to accomplish that with Vice. I'm eager for Selena Gomez to explain the Bathist party and Saddam Hussein to us. <laughs> what was going on there? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Mike, you asked about whether it's based on source material. IMDb lists it just as an Adam McKay script. And I think yeah. that something The Big Short benefited from, I mean, not to tout our own writers, was that it was based on really strong source material yeah. that was intricate and well-researched. And not to say that Adam McKay can't do that on his own, but like, I, I think it's interesting to watch that, again, a very about a different political crisis, but that Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9 really has not connected. It has not been well-reviewed. Our own Cam Collins kind of gave it a pan. Box office has not been good for it. That the the appetite for you know whatever fo- you know popular food stuff we want to call it maybe has shifted to podcasts maybe it's shifted to yeah. Twitter like I don't do we want to pay seventeen dollars to go to a movie that sort of talks back to us in a way that we've already kind of read online I don't know and maybe this conversation that's the framing device of the trailer happened but I suspect and you know it's Hollywood but I suspect that what really happened is much more complicated and actually disturbing than Cheney being saying to a fool like great i'll run your whole presidency and him being like awesome you know like that's what <laughs> that's my concern about this i film. also feel like cheney never had that conversation with bush himself exactly you know like and, it and was again, done it's like, for it's him. dramatic license yeah. but on the other hand if it's not illuminating this is like too important at this stage of the yeah. game i feel like for like a puppet show is my thought but we'll see yeah right and i don't really need like the you know i tanya wink to the camera like christian bale turns around and he's like this actual conversation never happened but oh, you know, if it had it would have <laughs> like this like i don't need that this movie to wink at me that hard the thing that i feel like i'm bracing for even 
even more than the movie itself is just the conversation about the Bush years. Like if this movie hits a nerve, if a lot of people see it, if we're going to be talking about it, it's going to be, you know, we've been relitigating the Clinton years a bunch. We're obviously living through our own current political crisis. Like, are we ready to be talking about like Judy Miller and Scooter Libby and all of that again? It, it, it might be a nice break from Trump, but it also just might feel completely exhausting. Yeah. I mean, what won't be exhausting is Tyler Perry as Colin Powell. That's pretty fascinating. <laughs> That's amazing. It is fascinating um, I mean because th- th- that's the thing is the cast like the big short is stacked I mean it's not just Christian Bale Amy Adams is Lynn Cheney it's Steve Carell is Donald Rumsfeld which you know that could be interesting because I feel like his other big movie this fall Beautiful Boy has been good for Timothy Chalamet his co-star but not necessarily for Carell yeah. so maybe this is a sort of redemption I, I mean Obviously, Rockwell is the supporting actor play, just judging from this one trailer. Yeah. But like beyond that, you have Jesse Plemons, uh, Allison Pill, Lily Rabe, Eddie Marson, Bill Camp is Gerald Ford, Justin Kirk is Scooter Libby. Like it's yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, gonna yeah. be fun. Pretty if stacked. nothing else. It's yeah. stacked. I'm yeah. dying to know how Gerald Ford fits into this story. Is there a connection that I'm just totally overlooking? Or, he narrates or it like that? the stage manager in our town. <laughs> Well, it seems that there's, <laughs> it seems like there's flashback scenes. The only time Christian Bale looks like Christian Bale is when he's playing, presumably Cheney in the Ford administration, right? Is yeah, that, that, right. That, that's yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Is. Yeah, because Amy Adams is in several scenes looking more like Amy Adams than like you know the Lynn Cheney that we knew in the Bush administration. Yeah. Well, this looks intriguing. <laughs> um, I feel like we all have to kind of like suck ourselves up for it. I, it's we still don't know when we're going to get a good look at it. It opens Christmas Day. Presumably, it will play somewhere before that. I think we've been speculating that it will be at AFI Fest in Los Angeles, which is where the big short premiere. Um, two or three years ago so hopefully we'll have some buzz about it soon so we don't just kind of have to spend the next three months wondering about it yeah AFI is now premiering on the basis of sex the movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg so if they want to premiere another big movie it would be kind of an interesting political I don't know counterbalance or something. Yeah, Dick really. Cheney and Ruth Bader Ginsburg together at last <laughs> like you say maybe we're not ready for this conversation about George W. Bush but I feel like we're having it all the time like I like just last week not to bring the mood down but like around the Kavanaugh hearings there was like this report that W. was like calling around and whipping votes for Brett Kavanaugh that's true and, and then there was this whole I saw this whole debate on Twitter being like oh you guys think it's so cute when he hands Michelle Obama candy at a few but like this is the real George W. Bush so like I feel like we're trying to have that conversation all along this will sort of like crystallize it into something like whether or not the movie is great it will like galvanize the conversation that we keep having around the margins and so uh, do I want that for Christmas this year I don't know if that's the present I want for Christmas this year go see Mary Poppins instead Yes, what Adam McKay is giving me. Dishonor the man, honor the film. That's (laughs) that's the campaign. Um, I also want to talk briefly about another trailer for a movie that's not coming out until, uh, I believe, Richard Lawson's birthday next year. So happy birthday, Richard. Yep. That's right. Yeah, uh, it'll be out in the end of May next year, but it's uh, Rocket Man, which is a biopic of Elton John. I think I believe only his early years, um, and in which Taron Edgerton of the Kingsman franchise plays Elton John. They released a minute-long teaser, but it was really intriguing. I enjoyed watching it so much, and it made me excited for this movie that I sort of had on my radar, but hadn't been looking that closely at. Music biopics are probably among my least favorite genre, uh, if not the my least favorite, but like this does seem kind of uniquely intriguing. Um, It's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who directed the star of the film Taron Edgerton in Eddie the Eagle a couple years ago with Hugh Jackman. Um, But Fletcher's mostly been an actor. He's in Band of Brothers and various other things. And this feels like a much 
bigger story than Eddie the Eagle was, which is about a ski jumper. So I'm curious to see how he handles that. But it looks stylish from the trailer. And it again, it has a good cast beyond Edgerton, a friend of the podcast, Jamie Bell is in it as Bernie Taupin, Richard Madden from Game of Thrones, Bryce Dallas Howard. So like, I'm I'm intrigued. So my birthday's May 31st. Also, happy birthday, Joanna, we, we should say. Happy as, birthday, oh, yes. Joanna. Everyone gets <laughs> a birthday present today. <laughs> um, but you know, my birthday's at the end of the, you know, May. It's the springtime. This does not feel like a springtime movie. So I'm curious what the strategy is there. I had been hearing about this movie actually like from people in LA starting, I don't know, about a month ago. Uh, they were like, something really weird is happening on the set of Rocket Man. And like, I didn't really know what they were talking about until I saw the trailer, which is like, this is a very surreal film. It's not trying to do a straight down the middle biopic or musical biopic by any means. And like, it's very subjective. And I think it's like very Julie Taymor esque, I think, uh, is, is how I would describe it. And then I've also heard, and I don't know the full story on this, is they're doing something really incredible with the music not just that Taryn singing because Taryn can sing as opposed to some people who play musicians but like uh that I think that they're going to be releasing like a crazy soundtrack to go with this that's just like a bunch of remixes possibly of like you know artists we love now doing reimagining Elton John songs and that I can that just sounds really fun to me so uh you know in that kind of I am Sam Beatles soundtrack basic bitch Joanna kind of way I'm really excited (laughs) for that Yeah, so I guess Elton John is participating in this in some significant way. It sounds like they couldn't really do that without him. Yeah. Yeah. It's also intriguing that the film, speaking of Jamie Bell, was written by Lee Hall, who wrote Billy Elliot, oh. um, which is a great movie, an Oscar-nominated yeah. movie. You know, so like he also did uh, Victorian Abdul recently. He wrote the screenplay for War Horse. Like that's actually a pretty good pedigree there. And I'm curious, Joanna, that like it could be more of an abstracty sort of thing. Again, that feels like a weird movie to release at the height of like Jurassic World season. But yeah. I don't know, counter-programming? <laughs> counter-programming. All the talk about Bernie Topin makes me hope that one of the stories that gets told, th- what I've heard or understand, I don't remember where I got it, is that the song Someone Saved My Life Tonight is because Elton was about to get married and Bernie was like, <laughs> Elton, you're gay. Don't do this. And then they wrote together because they wrote, Bernie wrote all the lyrics and Elton wrote all the music and Bernie wrote the lyrics to thanking himself for saving Elton's life. So anyway, I would love to see that play out on, on screen. I, I would possible. watch just that, that, that be the right? whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's yeah. Let that be the movie. I told Katie the thing that I was most relieved by with the Rocketman trailer is like Richard Madden um, as you know, our Richard mentioned of Game of Thrones fame has been going around doing press with these like insanely black dyed eyebrows and black hair and I was like God please be for a role and I looked it up and I was like okay he's in this I looked up the real guy he's playing who does have like super dark but like if you google recent images of the king in the north Rob Stark you're gonna be like alarmed by what he looks like but it looks fine in the trailer he looks perfectly normal but um you know that <laughs> I just always like to when people walk out with super weird hair you just always want to know why why Brad Pitt has done him to, this to himself oh it's because because he's in a movie about war tanks. That's fine. So the movie I think we're all kind of comparing this to, uh, whether we intend to or not, is Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury biopic that will be out in a few months. And by the time this movie comes out, Rocketman will maybe have forgotten all about it. Uh, but it is interesting to compare the you know the trailers for Bohemian Rhapsody, where it's clearly Rami Malek singing over Freddie Mercury's voice. And then hearing Taron Edgerton, you can tell that he's performing as Elton John. And as the resident parent on this podcast, I have seen the movie Sing many times, in which Taron Edgerton plays a singing gorilla. He has a great voice. 
uh, I think he's incredibly well suited to it. So I'm excited to hear just what he does. Like Elton John covers are fun. I'm with you, Joanne. I want to listen to that album. Yeah. Um, right? It's a big thing for Taron Edgerton, too. I mean, like, he's obviously been the lead in the Kingsman movies. Um, obviously, he was in the movie that everyone's seen, Billionaire Boys Club, uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey. <laughs> um, but this feels like more of a breakthrough. I mean, because Kingsman is not a movie that would be in any sort of awards conversation. So I'm curious to see how Edgerton kind of um, handles himself there. I'm really hoping I don't have to write another review like I did of Kingsman 2, where the first three paragraphs are me just being like, I have a crush on him, and so this is why I like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also have the Robin Hood movie coming in a couple months. Richard, so don't, oh right, don't yeah. I'll just get, just I'll get it out of my system then. A real low professional point for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Taryn is very charming and sing uh, as a musical gorilla, right? Um, I don't want to misspeak him, but um, <laughs> but yeah, this this does seem like a, a completely different thing for him. And as someone who has watched him sing on talk shows, <laughs> I could tell you, uh, he's really great. Uh, Katie and I were talking about dream casting the rest of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, and she asked me who my dream riff would be, and I said Taron Edgerton. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what happens. There's more musical theater coming because... I don't know if this is a good segue into A Star is Born, but like the thirst is high for musical yeah, theater right no, now. Yeah, no, let's segue to A Star. Let's save our Ansel Elgort and West Side Story debate for the next three years. Presumably we'll talk about it every week. Um, <laughs> let's talk about A Star is Born. Uh, we've been talking about it since Toronto, since uh, Mike and Richard and I saw it there. Joanna, you've seen it now. Um, so maybe I want to start with you. Like after weeks of hearing people sing The Shallows poorly and meme this movie, uh, what did it actually feel like to see the movie A Star is Born? I was really taken by a few things and then like slightly over underwhelmed by a few other things. Um, I just want to say anecdotally that, you know, I went to a screening here um, on Monday night. Um, it was like one of those things where they, they told us you're not allowed to bring a plus one. Usually we are. We were not allowed. Uh, and that I found out why when I got to the theater, because like fully three rows were marked off for staff and that never happens. And so that to me told me that like popular interest is higher in this than you know which we already knew but like I was like oh, okay the staff is like we demand to see a star is born so tell those damn film critics they're not allowed to bring any friends um and that was that was fine we all had a fun fine time in the movies uh Lady Gaga's performance I think had been overhyped for me and what I will tell you is like this is definitely far and away the best thing I've ever seen her do I think she's quite good I think she's really good when she's singing obviously like that's something she's good at emotionally while singing but I found her performance overall just like completely fine but I was really blown away by Bradley Cooper Sam Elliott lived up to the promise that people gave me and like I was impressed very much impressed by the film overall so um you know it's not gonna be it's not the best thing I've ever seen on film didn't change my life I've seen all the other versions of A Star is Born so I've seen this story before but uh, you know I just walked away really impressed by Bradley Cooper to be honest with you and like um I don't know, and then got in some subsequent fights on Twitter about like when I was touting Bradley Cooper, and I think some people were like, "Do we really want to celebrate a white man like this year?" And I'm like, "Yeah, if this white <laughs> man is Bradley Cooper, and he did that. I do. I think he's great." So sometimes um, white men do good things. It's yeah. possible <laughs> in this world. The impressive thing about Bradley Cooper's performance is that he just nails the cadence of Dick Cheney. It's just like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I agree with you, Joanna. That like he, you know, it's hard seeing these movies at these festivals like me, Mike, and Katie did, which like. Like, those are hype machines, and it's very much an echo chamber, and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I've been a little bit nervous about what the the, the, the general public is going to think about the movie. Like, did we did we ruin this one, you know, with all our yeah. t- tweets and reviews and stuff like that? I still feel 
a little wary. I think that I think that there is a backlash coming. What size and shape it takes, I don't know. But like, you know, I think the anticipation thing that you noticed, Joanna, seems to be high. I mean, I was just kind of anecdotally noticing the other night that like a lot of friends of mine, friends of the podcast, all bought tickets to the first Alamo Drafthouse screening in Brooklyn on Thursday night. And then um, that theater, Court Street, a bunch of other theaters in, in New York, quietly scheduled Wednesday night screening. So, like, the anticip- for, like the, the demand yeah. is up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. And, you know, if by the end of this first weekend, if everyone who's been dying to see the movie has seen it, and then that's it. Or if yeah. it has legs. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's going to have word of mouth legs because, like, it has... It's not only this like early, you know, I'm not usually a box office prognosticator, obviously, but like I think it's going to over like perform this weekend beyond even the high expectations for it, because I think people don't fully understand the Lady Gaga army. And then I think it's going to have legs because in addition to the Lady Gaga of it all, it has that sort of, you know, this is not a spoiler if you've seen any version of A Star is Born, but I won't like get too explicit, but it's got that like melodrama that I usually don't respond well to the like this is us sort of populist not life itself maybe sort of thing that like I think people, people are going to go and they're like oh my god it's so sad it's so good you have to see it like that's the word of mouth thing that I expect to spread and give it some legs now is this too early like beginning of October for like you know the award season's long and full of terrors like is it too early for that to buzz it all the way into all the awards maybe I definitely think the backlash is coming of some kind I don't know if it'll be La La Land sized but you know like I think it's coming well La La Land's problem was it didn't actually really at the end of the day connect in a huge way with real audiences right so it was like look at this amazing populist thing and then it's like well it's actually not quite as populous as you thought it was and that kind of takes the air out of it presumably the backlash to this will be similar to the backlash to titanic but i mean not to totally overhype it but like where we're all like at the end of the day that is a ridiculous movie but it was awesome fun at the time you can't fall for it and it won a bunch of oscars because like why wouldn't it i I don't know that's my my instinct is like we all kind of I, I don't know about you, but like I came out of it being like, I hate myself for loving this movie, but like I <laughs> yeah. love this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it, there's a million plot potholes, but this thing is like a big red, you know, pickup truck or merry prankster van, like just rolling over all of them <laughs> because it's awesome. <laughs> You know, it's just fun. It's interesting that I was I was really, you know, maybe this goes to editing uh, and maybe I'm not sophisticated enough to know the difference. But like I was really impressed by the way in which like it seems to me this movie is over two hours long. It seems to me that Bradley Cooper probably shot a three and a half hour movie <laughs> and cut it down to this. And the things that are missing um like you don't need them. It's amazing that you don't need them to understand the story. It just like sort of hops from one middle of a scene to the next middle of the scene. And you're like, okay, I understand what's going on. So I don't need it, but it's obvious. It feels clear to me that not only are things have been cut out, but like some things have been flipped out of order in order for him to stitch this together. And it still all somehow works. And that to me is more impressive than it is like, Oh dude, you overshot this movie and you had to cut it way down. Like you cut it way down and it still works. Like that's really amazing to me. So he's just really good in it, you know? Yeah. There's a youthful exuberance somehow for, for this movie from Bradley Cooper, a first time director, right? Kind of like, like at the controls doesn't really know how they all work, but it's just so like psyched that that comes through, which I think is, is a lot more fun and affecting than like a full on master at work. Yeah. In a way. I don't know. 
Katie, you you live in the um, well, uh, the closest the thing to it, the American heartland. Yeah. That we oh yeah. Have. What what is is it, is there any mood to be gauged uh, in North Carolina? I mean, less in like the where I live specifically, but it's something I think about like my mom and my sister and my cousin who are live all in South Carolina and have you know they like going to movies, but I'm not going to go tell them to see Moonlight automatically because I'm not sure if it would be their thing. But all three of them I've been telling to see A Star Is Born, and my cousin and her husband, who's a big Jason Isbell fan, like they're all really psyched to go see A Star Is Born. Like that that's kind of my judgment of choice of uh, whether or not it's going to connect with larger audiences and I just feel there's just not really anyone I don't think I could recommend it to which is why I feel so confident that it'll be a hit and thinking about um, the award season being long and full of terrors I keep thinking about Argo as a model for this also released by Warner Brothers also an actor and director Um, kind of it opened October 12th in 2012 and kind of cruised its way through as a big box office hit it eventually made 136 million um, domestically which is pretty impressive it had its own backlash. It kind of went through a, a, a kind of crazy thing where Ben Affleck didn't get the director nomination, and that's kind of how it won Best Picture. I don't necessarily expect that to happen for A Star is Born, but I do think when you have a movie like this that is going to grow, get that word of mouth like you were talking about, Joanna, I think maybe opening early is the way to go. Like La La Land did really well, but it also opened in December. It maybe didn't have as much time to become a, a phenomenon. Uh, or you think about like The Greatest Showman opening at Christmas. It becomes this huge word of mouth hit. If it had opened two months earlier, could it have gotten a Best Picture nomination? Maybe. Yeah, and I think that you know, I was thinking just talking about the the sort of quadrant appeal of it. You know, you can you can hit a lot of of, of different demographics with the movie. You know, well, why don't you release it at Thanksgiving because it's the perfect compromise movie. You know, everyone's home; they want to go. Everyone wants to get out of the house. But then they also had, there's Green Book kind of occupying that spot this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe getting out of the way of that. And you know, I think that there's been a funny thing. I think right now, Stars Born is tracking low at 25 million, high at 30. And then, but it's it's competing with Venom, which is this Tom Hardy Marvel ish thing, and that's going to be much bigger than everyone's saying. But like, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I know he's kind of fun in a weird way, but like, Star is Born is not just counter programming; it's sort of like counter ideology to like Venom and all that. So, so I don't know. Maybe there'll be a bigger groundswell for it than uh, than the box office mojo people think. When you talk about multiple multiple quadrants, like the fact that. Bradley Cooper plays like a, a country western singer, not like hard country, but like, you know, rock country. And then you've got like the pop of Lady Gaga. Like I can see the sound, you know, we, we all we already know. We just know this soundtrack is going to be bananas. So like that's just a part of it that's going to help it coast through through everything, I think. One of the other parallels, Katie, to to Argo and the 2013 Oscars is that this is quite a good year for movies, right? Like that 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 Best Picture lineup that year was Amore, Argo, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty. Like there was a lot of intense competition that year. Um, so I don't know what that says for for Silver Linings play, Playbook, but to the extent that it's a big tent movie that is like big hearted. And and is sort of like, come on, there's a scene in a drag queen bar and there's Jason Isbell songs and there's Lady Gaga and there's, you know, I mean, it's Willie pretty, Nelson's son. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> yeah, yeah. white. But uh, but apart yeah. from that, like it's, um, you know, it is uh, it, it's inclusive and it's not ideological except to kind of be like, hey, there's, and I think they even he even sort of solved that inherent problem with the story to the, uh, of like a man makes a woman you know it's not real he doesn't really make her although is it's, it still it's there borderline i think well like i don't know uh, uh, what i will say is that 
there are a couple of female film critics I know who are like deeply contrarian down on this movie, not having seen it yet. They're just like, based on the trailer, they're like, ugh, I don't want to see this. And I already knew the story. So I was like, I don't think that that's, I don't think this movie is what you think it is. I don't think it is man makes woman. That's what you are responding to based on the trailer. I don't think that that's what this is. And then I saw the movie and I was like, okay, it's a little, <laughs> like <laughs> okay. it's a little right. that I was, I was like it, but better than all the other versions that came before it. I agree with you. And, um, Bradley Cooper, uh, the other thing that I think people were responding negatively to in the trailer was like whatever voice it is Bradley Cooper's doing. But then that's explained in the plot of the film, I think, actually kind of really beautifully. And so I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I just I was like, oh, all the criticisms. Yeah, that are just kind of falling away as I'm watching this film. And it is, as as Mike said, this like big shiny red truck that I just want to. Like right along in, I don't know, but I just but want like, to get another uh, you... look at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, so speaking of the voice, like, is Sam Elliott like? Do we want to plant our flag like this early on, Sam Elliott? Um, are there other uh, people in the best supporting category, men in the best supporting category that you saw at Toronto that you feel have a better shot? Well, I mean, I was talking about this uh, at a Venom screening this week with Atlantic critic David Sims. Uh, and we were like, there's a lot of good. There's Richard E. Grant from Can You Ever Forgive Me, which we'll talk about more on this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, Timothy Chalamet and Beautiful Boy, who might be on this podcast. Um, uh, but like Sam Elliott, like there's such a narrative there in terms of the length of his career. And he's just, you know, popping up in the Big Lebowski and things that people really love. And like, he's just so reliable and here finally gets to show a, f- a fuller breadth of his, you know, um, the emotional um, aspect of his his, his acting um, which has been kind of percolating for a couple of years. You know, he did this movie with Blythe Danner a couple of years ago that was a mild Sundance hit. And I don't know. So I just feel like that sort of narrative is unbeatable. But I think, again, with as with anything with this movie, it really just depends on uh, whatever resonance it finds with an audience. And I think that that is, I don't think, if this movie doesn't do well, I don't think that it's, uh, I think it's, it's Oscar chances go way down. Ever, ever, ever since Mike talked about this, I don't know, last year or a couple of years ago, about how, like, in a in any actor's uh, performance, you want to have that reel that you can show that, like, one minute at, at the, uh, you know, a few seconds at the awards ceremony of, like, crying and snot coming out of the nose. And when, like, Sam Elliott had that moment, like, actually kind of fairly early on in the film, I'm like, oh, there it is. He's got it. All right. He's got this. Oh, this but then he fine. gets even better. Like, the scene yeah. where he backs the car out of the driveway late in the film. It's, like, it, it's killer. I think what helps Sam Elliott, too, is that two kind of what seem like heavy hitters here, Mahershala Ali and Sam Rockwell for um, Green Book and Vice, respectively, both won recently in this category. So it's kind of hard to imagine a ton of uh, narrative coming up behind them. And then you get Timothy Chalamet, who everyone loves, but, like, no one's in a hurried it like we all assume he'll have many chances to get an oscar um i mean i'm i keep wanting michael b jordan to get nominated uh which would be great but anyway i think sam Elliott is in a really good position uh and i don't know i guess we have to hedge our bets and say maybe a star is born won't too though but it's gonna do well it just yeah. feels poised for it do you think he drinks a little <laughs> too much is that the first <laughs> line yeah. that he has yeah. Yeah. So good. the uh the the timothy chalamet thing it actually kind of makes me think about like 25 years ago when Leonardo DiCaprio is up for Gilbert Grape, and he's so good in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were like, "But we got to give it to Tommy Lee Jones." <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's Tommy Lee Jones. So right. I feel like that's a kind of a similar thing. Um, 
where you know everyone just assumes that Chalamet is going to have a long and fruitful career. Uh, and in the case of DiCaprio, that was true. But he's really good and beautiful boy. But uh, yeah, I mean the DiCaprio problem is that like was Gilbert Grape the best performance that we like missed our chance to reward him for? It's a yeah. it's a debatable question. But you know he eventually got his Oscar. Um, someone on Twitter just asked me. They said, you know, question: Does this trailer for Vice upend your belief that B Coop is a lock for best actor? And I don't know. I haven't seen Vice yet, but like, yeah, that feels very awardsy. I don't know. But yeah. I, I feel like Bradley Cooper is still at the top of my list. He's been nominated so many times. He is extraordinarily good in this. And like the, I don't know the. Well, we've talked about this, the actor director thing. I don't know. He's just like he's incredible. Like I have always liked Bradley Cooper. I've never loved him as much as I love him in this, and the way that he inhabits this role, and the way he actually like slips in and out of that voice in a way that makes it feel even more intentional, you know. And like the, I guess, can I talk about the voice thing? I don't know. Is it a spoiler? I don't know about why he talks that way. Yeah. No, I think it's okay. It's like it's he's aping his older brother, played by Sam Elliott, and like that all goes to the um, the idea that like <laughs> Bradley Cooper's performance like honors Sam Elliott in a way because it's like you're reminded of like when you watch someone do an impression of Sam Elliott, you're like, oh my god, this guy Sam Elliott just has this effortless thing that is so amazing, and you know my only fear around getting too excited around this is that idea of like a history of a body of work behind someone is why I was so certain about Willem Dafoe last year and why I was so wrong. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like worried about getting my hopes up about Sam Elliott, but that's, that's Sam Rockwell going to do it two years in a row, going and steal some veteran characters. How dare he? Well, I, I would say on the on the actor thing, you know, when you've got a performance that when you can go with your heart, I would say go with your heart. Like if Bradley Cooper has this great narrative, he took this crazy chance making this movie. It actually worked. Um, he's actually great in it. He, you know, breaks your heart um, versus, you know, maybe an incredibly technical performance, but playing someone who's a villain. I don't know. I mean, I I would go with the Bradley Cooper in that sight unseen, having not seen Vice. If Christian Bale sings in Vice, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dick Cheney's alt country uh, stylings. If he explains how Dick Cheney got got that voice, you know, started talking that way. Do you think that they give Bradley Cooper one award to honor everything that he's done around this project? So, like, his best actor win will stand for everything else? Or do you see him coming home with, like, three awards i think it really does depend on how much of a hit this movie is i think the movie has to be a very sizable hit to to sweep but i think it it's possible but also remember like gloria stewart and kate winslet did not win for for titanic and they were nominated and you know so it's that kind of huge huge like massive sweep thing that's pretty rare yeah yeah, because people like to spread it out a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I think especially now, as we're so fractured, because I think, you know, I'm like bracing in anticipation of the backlash, right? And so like the backlash that I predict is like, Star Wars will be huge, it'll be this big thing, and then people who really want Black Panther to win Best Picture will be like, oh, sure, the like, uh, the like super white film that's very populist is like, Oscar worthy but Black Panther is not Oscar worthy you know like these are these are like debates I can see happening and so I can just see a spread of awards um, and there's not that like there's no merit in that argument but like I can see a spread of awards over you know like a you know 
a best director for Ryan Coogler or something like, you know, just to like spread it all out um, is a way to have peace in our time. Do we want to talk about best actress for a minute? I think Lady Gaga, as we've talked about, like, Joanna, you were maybe a little underwhelmed by her performance. I think some other people have been like pleasantly surprised by it. Obviously, her singing is amazing. I think she's going to win best original song for The Shallow. Best actress, is a, it feels really unsettled at this point. It like feels like a lot of possibilities and no real run- runaway favorite. Do, do any of us think that she is likely to win best actress? Well, I think that her chances are good because, like you said, Katie, that there that everything else feels very up in the air. You know, there have been so many amazing performances by lead actresses this year. Um, some by supporting that are being called lead, like Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Um, <laughs> but but Gaga is the one right now that we're like, yep, like that's a stamp, like that's a for sure nomination. You know, I'm thinking about just this week at the New York Film Festival, uh, a great Tamara Jenkins movie that's going to be on Netflix called Private Life premiered, and Catherine Hahn is amazing in that movie, and she's beloved by the industry. But I mean, it's a ne- the Netflix thing. So you, you think about a performance like that. You think about Elsie Fisher in Eighth Grade, who you know, Katie, you interviewed, like. There are these wonderful indie performances, and you're like, I could maybe see that getting in. I could maybe see Keira Knightley getting in for Colette, but it's all who knows. But like, we all know that Lady Gaga is getting it. I mean, I for sure, I think, going to get nominated. Are we not even talking about the favorite? In, well, in this? well, but, but Olivia Coleman, you know, like I think that she, if she was, I, I, they're running Olivia Coleman in lead, right? And they're running the other two in supporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that if they flipped, if they flipped it and ran Coleman in supporting, she would win outright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, Melissa McCarthy, and can you forgive me? I mean, so that's the thing mm-hmm. is there's so many other Glenn names. Close. But it, yeah, well, Melissa McCarthy's yeah. supporting. No, 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 she's lead. Okay, yeah. Right. So I'm just talking about the, the 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 kind of crowdedness of Best Actress this year. I yeah. think does Gaga a lot of favors. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Like the, a lot of vote splitting, and then she kind of walks in with the big hit and and can get it. Because it would be fun to watch her give a speech. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's already gonna win for song. Watch Leonardo DiCaprio's face as she takes the stage like have i talked on the podcast yet about my conversation with her my brief conversation with her in Toronto? i don't think so i watched it happen in real life so i said to her i thought it was so cool that i heard you insisted on um on singing all the music live and doing the music live and she said bradley and i both insisted it just wouldn't feel right without that and i was like well that's great and and uh how i said did you have any input on the character it seemed like the character there was a lot of parallels to your career she goes there's a lot of parallels but one thing that was totally not the same is that she's very insecure and once I decided to be a singer I was like out of my way and <laughs> that was so <laughs> awesome so anyway I mean I felt like I don't know I had you know just I don't know climbed Mount Olympus yeah. or something so that's going to be <laughs> helpful uh, if she's going around meeting academy members if she's willing to actually do that you know well because academy members can still be starstruck and this is someone from yeah. outside of their industry in a way with, with massive amounts of star power yeah I mean she's got it times a million people still quote Cher's Oscar acceptance speech where she was like you can finally take me seriously because she was wearing that crazy Bob Mackie outfit you know like once in a while people the Academy likes to do this it's fun oh yeah okay then I'm gonna be the stick in the mud on the Lady Gaga train this (laughs) this everyone has to have their thing where they are outside the group think I want her to have an Oscar for the song I definitely do I want Lady Gaga to win an Oscar this year I just don't think it should be for a lead actress but um you know, I'm I'm ready to be... I mean, Kobe Bryant has an Oscar, so what can you say? <laughs> hey. This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. 
Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum-sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. And now we're going to share the interview that I did with Elsie Fisher, the star of Eighth Grade, which A24 released over the summer and was really a surprise box office hit, a lot because of her performance. She's been acting since she was a kid, but I don't think anyone had really seen this kind of performance out of her. She's playing an awkward girl in eighth grade not long after she herself had graduated from eighth grade and has this authenticness and this kind of cringeworthy adolescentness that I think everyone really relates to. And what's interesting about talking to her is how not like that she is. She is way more confident and well-spoken than the character she plays in the movie. And we started by talking about her life in school because when she was doing press for the movie at Sundance, she talked about how she was going back to regular school and how she hadn't been acting for a while and how her life was pretty normal. And I was wondering if that could possibly be true since we were doing an interview at like 10 a.m. on a Thursday, presumably during school hours. So she talked about how her school life has changed a little bit and other things have changed for her since eighth grade broke out at Sundance, but uh, also how you can hear she's still an incredibly fascinating person to talk to. So let's listen to that. So I only have like two classes a week and the rest is online. It's been pretty nice, actually. Um, I get a lot more like free time. I mean, I'm still doing just as much work, but I get to do it on my own schedule. So I mean, if I wanted, I could put it off until the last day. So I guess that's one way I guess you'd say that eighth grade has changed your life since it uh, premiered at Sundance. Oh, definitely. Were you expecting that in any way? Like you've talked about how you kind of weren't sure if you're going to continue acting when this came along. Like was this level of change something you had on your horizon, maybe going into Sundance and realizing that if it did well, that it could change things for you? I I kind of didn't know how big of a deal 8th grade was going to be going into it. Because, um, I mean, I hadn't actually watched the movie until we were actually at Sundance. Which, yeah, I don't know. It was really cool to finally see it and be like, oh, we had so much fun making this, but also this is kind of an amazing thing. But, yeah, I don't know. After a couple of the festivals, I mean, I was just missing so much school just for, like, the press tour that I'm like, if I keep doing this, I, I can't do public school anymore. <laughs> You're going to flunk out if nothing yeah. else. Yeah, no, I mean, that's already been the case. I mean, like, I was, like, already gone through what would have been, like, the first week of school, so. Do you miss being in regular school at all? Um, To an extent. I mean, I had a lot of great teachers, uh, especially, like, my freshman year that I probably would have gotten if I had uh, stayed at my high school. And I miss my friends, too, but it's not like, I don't know, I didn't move to another state. I'm still right there, so I can all, uh, I can interact with them and everything. And you probably want to hang out with them when they're in second school and they're like, man, we have to be in school and you, you got all your work done already. Yeah, exactly. 
And I mean, for some of my friends who are in the theater class, I can just visit them in the theater whenever I want. The teacher doesn't uh, care too much. <laughs> I mean, that's like it's like having like someone who's you know professionally visiting. You're a professional actor. You get to come visit the class and teach them everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you had been acting for a long time, and kind of said that when you first started, it wasn't really a, a conscious choice. You were a kid, um, but I'm curious about when before eighth grade came along, you kind of wondered if you wanted to keep acting. Were you thinking of it as a career at that point? Were you thinking like either I'm going to be a professional actor or I'm going to quit entirely? Or what? did you still not have that career path in mind yet? No, I was I was definitely thinking of it as a career, I think. Um, and I mean, like, I was thinking about quitting uh, pretty much throughout my middle school years, uh, just because I didn't work very much. And I was just, um, I was going out on some auditions, but it wasn't a ton. But when I was, I mean, that was taking me out of school and... Um, yeah, I think middle school is kind of a time when that uh, when your career is something you should start at least thinking about and um, just dedicating a lot of time to what you might be doing. You mean for everybody, not just actors? Like, like everyone in middle school should think about it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for everybody. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think it's important to get a head start on what you think you might be doing for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, acting was just taking up a lot of my time and I wasn't really going to auditions that I was, like, feeling it with, and, um, yeah, it was just a lot of factors that made me kind of consider quitting and maybe focusing on other careers I might do, but I'm really glad I didn't, because, I mean, I've always enjoyed acting. It was just, like, I felt like it wasn't working out, but clearly that's not the case anymore. As you got older, and especially when you got to middle school, I know a lot of actors talk about how seeing themselves on screen can be tough. Did that become tougher for you as you got to that age? Because it gets just harder for a lot of people to like photos of themselves when they hit middle school. Mm, I mean, so I didn't work too much during middle school, thankfully. Eighth grade was really my only big project during then. But I have an easier time watching eighth grade, actually, than any of my other work. Um... Just because, I don't know, like, it's a project I'm really passionate about, and I truly don't see myself, I see Kayla. Um, and it's kind of weird, because, like, to me, we kind of look different. I mean, even though we literally are the same person. I don't know, there are just um, some things that subconsciously just, like, seem different. Because, I mean, she is her own person, uh, to an extent. But yeah, I don't know. That's actually easier for me to watch, though. That's, uh, that's, what about when, like, when you're on a talk show or something like that? Is that where you're still like, oh God, that's still me up there? Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't watch, like, any of the interviews that we've been doing <laughs> or, like, uh, the talk show stuff. It's just too hard. Yeah, I feel like it, all adult actors would say the same thing. So I feel like you don't have to feel yeah. bad about that. <laughs> You had talked about how you had uh, you knew about Bo's work before you got the movie and you kind of looked up to him. Uh, and it's interesting to build a relationship with, with someone you admire, but also just to be a, in high school and be a teenager and to build a relationship with an adult man. Like, that's not a common thing. And you've been acting for a long time, so you've had, like, mm. relationships with adults. But how was that just kind of coming to see him as someone who you could relate to in that way and not, like, as a grown-up who was telling you what to do? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, it was a very special thing, and I'm really glad I got to have that experience. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I got to really know him as a person throughout the entire process of filming, but truly just, like, in the first couple of auditions we've had, or we did have, um, but um, I, I don't know, and that, that made reading the script for the first time be a lot more magical, because um, I actually only read it, uh, the complete script, after I'd uh, gotten the role. But yeah, I mean, it's really, I, I feel very lucky because, um, I don't know, I think we're very similar people and 
regardless of his age or his, you know, being a man or whatever, I think we're similar people. And yeah, I just feel really lucky to be able to have him as my best friend. Yeah, I don't know. I think kids in general should be wary of adults trying to be their friend because there can be bad situations. Yeah. But I wish there was like less of a stigma against it because like I've I've genuinely never been more happy to be someone's friend than like him and honestly everyone I met on set I mean the entire crew was like all my best friend and they're all adults so (laughs) does it feel different from the friendships that you would develop on sets when you were younger like they they treat you more like maybe not like an adult but more like a peer like you can participate in things more than when you were little yeah definitely I mean I've always had pretty great experiences on set, but I mostly just got to know, like, the hair and makeup people and, and set teachers and uh, that stuff. Yeah, you spend a lot of time in hair and makeup. That's a strong bond you build there. Yeah, exactly. I've had way more makeup put on me for other projects than this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I spent more time. Uh, but I mean, like, I really got to know, like, everyone on set. And yeah, we we really were peers. I mean, we had, like, inside jokes and stuff. Like, uh, there's this game where you put the little, like, Gucci hand below your waist, and if someone looks, you punch them, and it's like... Oh, yeah. It's like a whole little game. <laughs> I've seen that yeah, game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we started playing that on set, and, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable experience. So, since this movie has come out, obviously, a lot of people have, like, talk- been talking about it and responding to it. I'm curious if you've met actresses who either acted as children or teenagers, or who maybe are a little bit older than you, who kind of, like, went through that experience, and if anyone's, like, giving you advice or kind of, like, a path that you want to emulate from going from being a child actor to having a movie career, which I, I think you know, as for a lot of people, can be really difficult. Mm. I haven't really had the opportunity to connect with many other child actresses. I, uh, I actually did meet, a. Uh, Meredith Salinger. She's Patton Oswalt's wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. She was a child star, too. And she's just been, like, a very supportive and kind soul that I feel very, very lucky to know. I'd like to emulate her path. I mean, honestly, I respect most people who were child actors um, and even the ones who went, quote unquote, crazy because it's a stressful thing. And, you know, yeah, I, I respect them all to an extent. Um but she is definitely someone I would like to emulate. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a like strategy that you're using like in the last year to kind of not to not go crazy, but just to like feel like you're still yourself, even with all these changes happening? Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say I have uh, a specific strategy. It's just been mostly little steps and trying to take care of my mental health because I am a mentally weak person. I think, <laughs> um, I don't know. I deal with a lot of stuff. But yeah, I mean, just trying to be constantly aware of how I'm feeling and like, if something is too much for me, stating it and, you know, just being honest with people and, um, I don't know, not let the small amount of fame I have go to my head. <laughs> <laughs> so what has, I know you, there's things that you can't necessarily give away, but what, like, what has the work outlook been? Like this movie's gotten so much attention. I assume that there are more roles coming to you than there were two years ago when you were in middle school. So what's, uh, what's the, the path there? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm really excited. I've been able to get a role in uh, the new MGM animated Adams family, which is super hey, exciting, yeah. uh, exciting for me just cause like, I love, I mean, I love the Adams Family, and I love doing voiceover work, which I've barely gotten to do any of, and I love working. Yeah, but I don't know. It's actually just been a lot of auditions, and um, I don't know. I'm kind of just still on the lookout for uh, something. Um, I mean, like, I'm really open to whatever. I just want to play a character who feels really genuine. Yeah. 
And when you're doing, you know, not just the auditions, but like doing interviews and going on talk shows and things like that and events, like how has entering into that world been? So the podcast that we do talks a lot about award season and, you know, which is just like nonstop parties mm. and meetings and stuff like that. How how has adjusting to that been where you're, you know, you might be the youngest person in the room. Everyone else is drinking a cocktail. Like what, how do you get used to being <laughs> in that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's something I've been kind of exposed to for a lot of my life. So it it doesn't feel as weird to me as it might sound describing it. <laughs> but I mean, it's just learning uh, how to be social, I suppose, when I'm an antisocial person. Mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, going on the talk shows and the interviews, people are like, wow, I can't even tell that you're anxious. But I mean, most of it is like, I'm kind of putting on an act to an extent. I mean, like, because, I don't know, being me is too scary to be on television. That's what acting is, right? It's uh, learning how to put yeah, on somebody else. Yeah, I mean, else. it really is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm utilizing those skills in, in interviews and being someone else who can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you have, like, like dealing with grown-ups or dealing with, like, studio people voice and then you can, like, hang out with your friends and, like, turn back into your real self again? Yeah, because, um, I mean, like... I can relax more when I'm around my friends. I don't have to be, like, on all the time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, regardless of how much I prepare kind of before interviews or talk shows, uh, interview me just kind of, like, does activate. I activate my supreme form. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I mean, like, it's weird. But um, my anxiety is at the level where I have to be good yeah. or else I will die. Well, the anxiety is something you and Bo have in common, right? Like, I've seen you guys do interviews where you both kind of talk yeah. about dealing with anxiety. And I mean, that, that is that something that kind of bonded you guys together early on? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, like, I hadn't, I don't know, I hadn't, like, talked much about my anxiety before this. Um, and, I, I mean, I just never really thought about it too much. I, I didn't really discover I had it until my eighth grade year. And, yeah, it's, just, it's still something I didn't, like, deal with very much. Uh, and... The entire process of, like, filming and doing all these festivals and just, like, being around Bo and being able to talk about it with people uh, has been a really nice and, like, unifying experience, I guess. Well, that's kind of what the experience of watching 8th grade is and, like, probably being in it is, like, she thinks that she's on her own and having these weird feelings and the, the, the kind of heart of the movie is knowing that everyone is there. And it sounds like something you kind of went through in real life in the process of making it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that's one of the things I really like about the movie is that, like, everyone can kind of find something to relate in it. I think most people um, are probably drawn to the anxiety portion of it. But, like, truly, I mean, there are so many things. Yeah. I wanted to ask about one specific scene because you you guys have talked in interviews about how a lot of the scenes, the phone is your screen partner and you're kind of like acting opposite the the phone. But um, Josh Hamilton has kind of the big scene with you by the fire where he really has a, a monologue and is talking to you in this really emotional scene. And you have to be there and with him, but you're not the star of the scene. And I'm curious about what you do to kind of be present there, like to watch that happen, to know that to, to, to be in character and not kind of be amazed at someone's acting feat. W was that an adjustment for you to be part of a, a scene like that? Mm, yeah, I mean, it was definitely um, one of the more, not not intense, but like, um, I, it's kind of hard to describe, but it, it was an interesting scene of film for sure. And honestly, Josh is so amazing in that. A lot of it was just trying to actively listen to him. And, and while he was talking, I was trying to kind of, have Kayla's internal monologue then. Yeah. Um, 
Because e- even though it's something that's not vocal, I mean, she would probably not be listening to the whole thing, I think. She would be <laughs> listening to parts and then thinking, um, not to devalue, of course, what, you know, her dad is saying, but, like, I don't know. That's kind of something I think she needed to hear, but might make her anxious and relaxed at the same time. And that's kind of what I tried to be. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I don't know how that works with your parents, but I just think of like my parents try to open up to me emotionally and just being like, okay, can we go talk about something else? Because this is a level of connection that I want to get away from. And I I think I still do that. So I can see how Kayla would do (laughs) three times as much as that. Exactly. So when you did interviews, when the film first came out, you talked about how your phone habits hadn't necessarily gotten any better. You just felt worse about it. It's been a couple months. I just wanted to check in. Have you gotten any less addicted to your phone? Is it still the same way it was? You know, um, I don't know. I'm still making an active effort to get better. And I, I've i been very focused on, like, my personal projects and acting. Um, and that's been a good distraction from it. But, I mean, I still catch myself, uh, like literally unconsciously looking at it when I'm, like, not doing anything. So, I mean, I think I've, I've gotten a little better um, since the last time people have checked in. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's a, it's hard work. I mean, it really is breaking an addiction. Do you really think you'll ever be cured? Like, I don't think anyone really is ever going to be cured of their phones, like, no matter how old you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it genuinely depends on the person. I mean, if they have a way to, like, not need their phone then they could probably be cured of it. But, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm someone who kind of has to have a phone regardless because, you know, I'm a child who's, like, been in states alone. So I have to contact with my parents and, like, you know, I have to keep up with my schedule, blah, blah, blah. And social media is just kind of present. Um, But, I mean, like, if you can find a way to not need your phone squat, then, I mean, you might be able to do it. I believe in you. I hope maybe on your next break from filming or from promoting, you get to go to like in the desert for a week where there's no reception. And then like, that's the only way you just have to cut yourself off from cell towers and Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think honestly, the best thing would be like, if I just had no obligations for like a week and I told (laughs) like one of my parents, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be not available. And then just like, Throw it in the ditch. If your parents are listening, I hope that they send you to a camp for a week where you can just uh, lay lay by the pool and throw your phone in a ditch. (laughs) Me too, man. Me too. (laughs) Well, Elsie, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thank you so much. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thanks as always for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Tell your friends. Uh, and find us all at VanityFair.com, writing about all of these movies and so much more. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaws. And Joanna. Happy birthday, Joanna. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best snack at this year's Vanity Fair Oscar party goes to Mike Hogan. Liberal Doritos. 